new blockchains that have launched are almost exclusively proof of stake or some variation of that. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 337 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Today, let's talk about blockchains, mainly blockchains, but also touch on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And let me just quickly tell you what NFTs are, just in case, just the acronym. NFT stands for non-fungible token. And fungible means replaceable by another identical item. So for example, when you own one Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is fungible. There are plenty of coins that are exactly the same. But non-fungible means unique, can't be replaced by another identical item. So you are non-fungible. All of us are. And the same for non-fungible tokens. They are a token for something that is unique, for example, a digital artwork. And so you can trade these tokens, NFTs. But now back to blockchain technology. Blockchains are at the core of what cryptocurrency is. Harrison Dell of Kadena Legal in Sydney will walk you through an example that hopefully makes it easier to grasp what a blockchain looks like. So now we're talking about blockchain and it's good to work through an example to see how a blockchain works and what all the fuss is about. Say, for example, I want to transfer two Bitcoins to Larry. To do that, I would need to put a transaction through on my wallet. And when I put that transaction through, what happens is it needs to be verified that I want to do that. So it gets verified by a network of computers called miners. And the miners, while it sounds like they're little pickaxes digging through rocks, instead what they're doing is they're solving cryptographic puzzles. The computer that solves this puzzle, congratulations, you get to verify the blockchain. And they verify the block where it says Harrison transfers to BTC to Larry. And that block is verified. There might be other transaction, transactions in that block. And that all gets distributed to all of the miners who keep it on their distributed ledger. And that's the real power of blockchain, which is distributed ledger technology, which is actually separate to blockchain itself. My understanding was that a block basically just has the following information. It says Harrison transferred two Bitcoin to Larry. Harrison had three Bitcoin to start with, and now he has one because he transferred two to Larry. And Larry had three Bitcoin to start with, and now he has five. My understanding was that is all that is in this one block. So there'll actually be a whole lot of transactions in a block. So on the Bitcoin network, a block is confirmed every 10 minutes or so. And that block might contain, I don't know the exact number, but it will contain hundreds of transactions. It'll say from this address, announcement here, announcement there. Is a block every transaction within a certain time span? So would a block be all transactions from 1300 to 1330 seconds or from 1300 to 1301 minute, for example? It would actually be the time between when each cryptographic puzzle is solved. Okay, good. So this is the next thing I wanted to ask you that had always confused me because it seems to be so completely a waste of time. Why use precious computer capacity 
to solve cryptographic puzzles that solve no purpose whatsoever apart from deciding who gets to mine this block. Proof of work, which is what we call these blockchains, are very out of vogue. People are not making these blockchains anymore. Back when Bitcoin was launched in 2009, it made sense. And the energy required to solve one of those puzzles was very, very low because those puzzles were easy. The design of Bitcoin is that the cryptographic puzzles will get harder and the rewards will get less and less. So it becomes a diminishing supply, diminishing returns. Of course, we've had Bitcoin go from less than a cent or less than a few cents to $60,000, $70,000. So the miners are still making money, but essentially proof of work now uses a significant amount of energy, which is why new blockchains don't use proof of work. The two major blockchains that use proof of work are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, Bitcoin likely won't ever move away from proof of work. So that's here to stay. Ethereum is looking to change from a proof of work blockchain into a proof of stake blockchain, which means that instead of having computing power to solve puzzles, simply holding enough Ethereum and staking it in a, in a pool or making your own node for a blockchain will net you the, the, um, the rewards. Now, that's called Ethereum 2.0, and that has been in the works for a very long time, and it's still going, and, and it keeps getting delayed. That's, that's quite hard to do. But new blockchains that have launched are almost exclusively proof of stake or some variation of that. Can I just ask you what this proof of work is? Because my understanding was that proof of work would be to actually check, okay, Harry had three Bitcoin to start with. He paid two to Larry. So now he has one, three minus two is one. My understanding was that is basically proof of work, that miner comes in and checks this calculation and that is the proof of work or that the proof of work is to yeah check the opening balance to look at another block that said yeah Harrison had three bitcoin and so these three bitcoins are now the opening balance in this new block and that this would be the proof of work it's actually neither unfortunately so how proof of work is it that the work that they're required to do is to solve the cryptographic puzzle Good. And that has nothing to do with this transaction. Nothing to do with the transaction. If you solve the puzzle, congratulations, you get now get to verify that transaction and you get a mining reward. And the mining rewards de de decrease over time. Last I recall, it was 6.25 Bitcoin per, per block of transactions that you verify. And the verification process is, is not the work that gets rewarded. It's, it's, it's cracking the puzzle. So all this energy is being spent to power computers to essentially play math games. So proof of work is this cryptographic puzzle. And the term mining, this is, is mining just solving the proof of work or is mining checking the block or is mining both? So my, mining, the, the, the mining is solving the cryptographic puzzle. If you solve it, you get rewarded because you get the opportunity to verify the block on the blockchain. And, and then everyone saves that block. I see. And why is it an opportunity to verify a blockchain? I mean, I could, why do I care to, to verify a blockchain? Because you get rewarded in Bitcoin. I see. I get rewards for mining, for doing the proof of work, but then I also get rewarded for verifying the transaction from Harrison to Larry. Yeah, well, that's, that's all block. rolled up in the, in the mining reward, which, you know, six Bitcoins every 10 minutes, that's a lot of Bitcoins for if you can mine it yourself. Now, the problem becomes, the computer power that you require to 
you know, minor block yourself is enormous. And so this is why Elon Musk got out of Bitcoin because Bitcoin still requires this proof of work and hence high energy usage to solve these cryptographic puzzles that don't really do any good in the world. That's why he got out of Bitcoin, but he didn't get out of cryptocurrency in general because the other cryptocurrencies don't use proof of work. They use proof of stake, which I assume is less energy intensive. Yes. So, so proof of stake is greatly reduced energy consumption because you don't need to solve cryptographic puzzles all you do is you contribute an amount of your cryptocurrency to stake it and a coin that's staked will get randomly selected to verify the blockchain if that's you great you've earned a mining reward instead of having to solve puzzles it's essentially a randomized system for the so now it's basically a lottery it's, it's like a lottery and to participate you need to lock up your cryptocurrency in one of these contracts so you basically have to deposit, it's like a bank deposit, and then that basically gives you a lottery ticket, and then you might be chosen for yes. this proof of stake. And generally what happens for a lot of blockchains, this, this is how it, how it operates for proof of stake, is that there's really only one contract, and you put it in there, and the verification that happens, that the mining reward goes to all holders equally. It's... It's a whole podcast itself um, to go through how this works, but essentially you can earn a fairly consistent reward from staking your cryptocurrency on a proof of stake system. Does the block just include the data of everybody who is involved in the transactions in that block? So let's say the block only had the transaction of Harrison giving two Bitcoin to Larry. Would it then only list the balances of Harrison and Larry, or would it list the balances of other people who are not involved in these transactions? So each transaction on the network is Bitcoin moving from one address or one wallet to another wallet. That's all the information that it needs. So one I really doesn't list the opening and the closing balance of of that particular wallet. No, because that's main like the whole blockchain is you can see everything. Like you can like it's 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 like a endless double accounting system that can't break because it has to always balance. Because if you try and transfer seven Bitcoins, but you only have five, it won't let you do that. That transaction won't be verified. I see. So the block doesn't actually have the opening balance and the closing balance of each of the transaction participants. It just has the transactions. Yes, that's right. And they're all different. So some of them will have different kinds of information in them, but it doesn't need that because it's, it's a very, very long running balance. Most cryptocurrencies use blockchain technology, but not all of it. I think there are some obscure cryptocurrencies that don't use blockchain technology, correct? Yes, that's probably correct because there are a few different ways of doing it. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a whole range of different ways of doing it. And the way that I explain blockchain technology, and it makes it sound very unexciting, is imagine if you just had an Excel sheet and every single time you did a transaction, you wrote it in there except you can't ever change it and everyone's looking over your shoulder. That's, that's really all it is. Once you've put it there, you can't take it away. And it's the applications of that technology that make it valuable. So that's, that's not always called blockchain. It may actually just be called distributed ledger technology. And that's got power beyond speculating on dog-themed tokens Instead, people are using it for supply chain management and doing all sorts of things. And they may have a distributed ledger technology system, but no cryptocurrency to go with it, no token. It may just be 
we're using that technology. So there's a few aspects of it, but I'm sure there's been a lot of variations. Some are blockchain, some are not. Some do things like side chains that interact with the main blockchain. It It's getting pretty complicated these days. So not every blockchain is crypto. There are lots of other ways to use blockchain technology and not every crypto uses blockchain technology. Yes. For example, there's one that doesn't use blockchain technology. It's called Hedera Hashgraph. And that uses a, a different system called the Gossip on Gossip protocol. So there is a lot of innovation in this space. Blockchain is huge, but there are other ways to do things to achieve the same thing, which is essentially trusted transactions without an intermediary. Can you only mine Bitcoin or can you mine all cryptocurrencies? This this concept of mining that is only for Bitcoin and Ethereum, correct? Where you need a proof of work. For proof of stake, you don't really do mining, correct? That's right. Well, proof of work coins, the two big ones are Bitcoin and Ethereum. There are other coins you can mine. There's, there's, there's thousands of coins that you can mine. Another one that's reasonably large is, is called Ravencoin. Some of them are designed so they cannot be mined by mass, mass facilities. Some of them are designed to be mined by um, graphic processor units, GPUs. Some of them are designed to be mined by ASIC miners, which are the ones they use for Bitcoin mining most commonly. So proof of work still has a use as long as it's designed in a way where someone cannot accumulate usually more than 50% of the mining power because then they can control the network. You just spoke about how this blockchain technology, the main thing is you cannot change it. And I've read about somebody who, who made a mistake when they placed a sales order and it was a massive amount. It was like, I don't know, 10,000 Bitcoin or something. And by accident got the digits wrong and made it made the price basically 10% of the current market value or so. And the sale went through and he couldn't reverse it. Yes, that happens all the time. Most commonly, it happens with vulnerabilities in smart contracts. For example, it was just the other day that there was a, um, essentially there was a bug in OpenSea, which is a NFT platform. In the largest NFT project, it's called the Board 8 Yacht Club. Now, someone had caused those orders to fill. So previous sale prices for those NFTs, which was you know less than $2,000, some of those NFTs were transferred. Now, these NFTs, some of them are worth over a million dollars each. And because of a bug in the system, someone executed a transaction on the blockchain that was verified. Nobody can reverse that. Since you just mentioned NFTs, I imagine NFTs are much easier to work out and work out the tax on, et cetera, because you basically, because you tend to just have one NFT and so you buy it and then you sell it. So it's, it's quite straightforward. Whereas with cryptocurrency, you might buy 10,000 and then you sell 1,000 and then you buy another 500. It's a lot messier. Do you agree that NFTs tend to be much cleaner when, you know, from an accounting and tax point of view? I agree on paper. It seems like that if you're dealing in a relatively small amount of NFTs, it's not too hard to keep track of them yourself. But the technology for accountants has evolved so that there is very good tax compliance software that can essentially read a blockchain, look for your address, show you all your transactions and calculate your profit and loss. Still requires work, of course, to reconcile things. But NFTs are very hard to put into those kinds of systems. I see. So Coinly, for example, and the other ones, they don't cover NFTs. They only cover cryptocurrency. 
Yeah, so so Coinly, Crypto Tax Calculator, there's a few more. NFTs are currently not very well supported. NFTs are a, still a relatively new innovation and taken off in the market only recently. But there's another factor with, with NFTs, which actually becomes very difficult. And this is actually difficult across both, which is the gas fees. So when you do something on the Ethereum network, for example, you need to pay gas. And gas is essentially, you need to pay some Ethereum for that transaction to go through. It's like a commission. Like a commission. And the, the gas fee is calculated based on network congestion. So if the network is more congested, it'll cost more to put a transaction in. The problem with Ethereum is that it's incredibly popular and the gas fees have skyrocketed. So it was, it was many years ago when Ethereum transactions were relatively cheap. They were a few dollars, sometimes even a few cents. You can now have gas fees in the three, three or $400 per transaction. To, to pay that gas, you need to buy Ethereum. Now, of course, Ethereum is a CGT asset. And then when you spend it on gas, you've triggered a capital gain and loss on that ETH that you, that you purchased. So the accounting actually becomes complicated, even with relatively few transactions, because you need to work out the cost base, you need to work out the proceeds, which is the value of the Ethereum on that day when you, do the, you pay the gas fee. No matter where you turn in this space, the accounting is a bit of a nightmare. The reports, the taxation reports you can get, they would be able to handle that, wouldn't they? Yes, usually. Yes. And if you're on capital, then the gas fees go into your cost base. And if you're a trader, then they go into your PL. Yes, essentially. Although there is a little bit of uncertainty to the cost. Where do you put the cost base of buying the NFT and of selling it? Does it all go in the same asset or does it? Or is it not included at all? Just because we're disposing of a separate asset. We're working out CGT on a few different assets at once. It, yeah, um, good point. It, it kind of melts the mind a bit when you think about it. Because, yeah, from, from a few steps away, you go, oh, the CGT, you know, gain and loss, you're done. But if I'm spending property, being ETH, to buy an NFT, that should go on the first element of the cost base, you'd think, because that's property that you gave to acquire an asset. And then when you sell it, where do those selling fees go? You know, does that go on the cost base of you, you normally would sell it for USDC or Ethereum or something like that, depending on what you're doing? Placing where it goes on the cost base is rather confusing. And it's 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 a bit of a compliance headache. It has some impact for CGT, but it's just that's just an example of one of the things we have uncertainty on that would love a bit of certainty from the ATO. And it's just because this, that there is no other asset class where you spend an asset to do stuff with another asset. I can't think of anything else. I don't know if you can. No, I can't. Stepping away from gas fees and the uh, CGT issue you just touched on and coming back to NFTs, do you see most NFTs being on capital or do you also have seen people being traders of NFTs? I have lots of clients that are flippers of NFTs. So they will buy them for cheap and they'll sell them for a lot. And for example, one fellow I'm dealing with at the moment, he has over 250 NFTs in his account right now. And he's probably traded over 3,000 in the year so far. So he would be a trader? I think it's very likely. He spends a lot of time on this, he participates a lot in, in the Discord channels, Discord groups that, that this stuff all happens in. And he makes consistent profits, you know, and he's, he's deployed some capital and, and He's making a lot of money, to be honest. Maybe I should start doing that. Yes. <laughs> Can I just ask you some uh, basic questions? For example, is there a difference between exchanges and platforms? 
sometimes it's there's talk of cryptocurrency exchanges and then of cryptocurrency trading platforms. Is there a difference between exchanges and trading platforms or is it the same? I think that's probably the wrong way to cut up the sector. The way I think about it is you've got centralized exchanges and centralized exchanges are Binance, uh, Independent Reserve, SwiftX, all of those. And they offer trading platforms as well. So they offer, you can just buy Bitcoin and leave it there and you can do futures and all sorts of silly things if you want. Now that's the centralized. You have the decentralized exchanges as well. And previously it was, it was as simple as you can just trade and buy and sell different crypto. But now a lot of these decentralized ones actually have trading platforms inbuilt. When you say centralized, I always think of central bank or government or something, but these ones have nothing to do with a government or a, a, a regulatory body. SwiftX, Binance and independent exchange, they're still part of decentralized finance, aren't they? They're still part of DeFi, correct? Even when they have the word centralized in them. I would say no, because it's it's centralized. And I, I describe them as centralized because you don't own your cryptocurrency. If it's held in one of those exchanges, it's actually held in their central wallet, the same as everyone else's. And you simply have an entitlement. And there have been many, many times when these exchanges have actually gone under because someone has hacked into that wallet and stolen everybody's cryptocurrency. So they're basically like a managed fund. You basically just buy a unit in a unit trust. Essentially, yeah. It's more like a bear trust. You know, they, they own some Bitcoin on your behalf. And I'm actually not sure if they can identify which Bitcoin they own for you. But essentially, it's one wallet and you have, a sh you have a, a, an interest in that wallet as opposed to you owning your Bitcoin and you can do whatever you like with it. Yeah, so that's exactly like a managed fund where you buy a unit. Yeah, it's, it's more similar to things like self-wealth and um, you know, CMC where trading in shares, they're not owned by you. They're, they're dealt with under their software. They're dealt with under their trading thing. And, and there's all sorts of guarantees and things like that, but we don't have that in cryptocurrency. So now I understand why it's centralized. And then you have decentralized where you actually have your name on those coins. Yes. It's not your name, but you've got your address. Because it's anonymous. Yeah, it's an anonymous address. Well, at least it's, it doesn't have a name on it, but um, it can be linked to you, especially if you interact with a centralized exchange, which does have your name on it. Those transactions are, are kept. But yes, you can set up a decentralized wallet within minutes. And your very special way to access it is via a private key. Only you have, only you should have that private key. And if you have that private key, you can recover that wallet at any time, access mm -hmm. to that wallet. And if you lose it, then the crypto is gone. It's gone. And there have been more than a few news reports of people losing millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, especially to lost seed phrases and private keys. Welcome back. So blockchain is just a public ledger, a public list of transactions. In the next episode, episode 338, Harrison Dell will talk about staking crypto. What do you actually do when you contribute your crypto to a staking pool? And what happens when there is a rug pool? And how is this text? Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.